0: We have two scripture passages this morning. The first is in 2 Timothy chapter chapter 3. We found your pew Bible on page 1855 and also uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. And that's on page 1894. As you turn there, let me remind you that we've been in an ongoing series with the Explore God Chicago initiative, thousands of churches All over the Chicago area are participating in this sermon series about these seven big questions that people who are curious about Christianity and even many Christians still ponder, still consider, still think about. We've looked at questions like, does life have a purpose? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Jesus really God? So on and so forth. Uh, But today, we're looking at the question, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible trustworthy? Can the Bible be trusted as the inspired Word of God? So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. I'm going to start the reading in verse 10 for context. It says, Paul speaking to Timothy concerning his work of being uh, the pastor at the church in Ephesus. He says, you, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, that is, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then also 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Sorry, in the reading in verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Peter is writing to this church telling them I'm about to uh, die, I'm about to be uh, martyred as Jesus uh, told me at the end of the Gospel of John is where we can read that account. Uh, And he wants to make sure that they know what they need to know about the Gospel, about the importance of the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And this is what he says. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. Of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He's talking about the the Mount of Transfiguration. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. I don't know if you know this, but uh, you're probably very familiar with the idea of having a study Bible. A study Bible is a Bible which has in it study notes for each verse or for important verses that help you grasp or understand uh, what the scriptures are teaching. A study Bibles can be very helpful tools particularly the Reformation Study Bible or the Reformation Heritage Study Bible, can be uh, ones that display what Reformed Christians believe from our perspective. Um, But there's a very interesting study Bible that you can reference or you can look at online. It's called the Skeptics Annotated Bible. and You can go to skepticsannotatedbible.com. And it's a website dedicated to pointing out all of the supposed errors, contradictions, and discrepancies in the Bible. It divides the supposed errors into the following categories. Injustice, absurdity, cruelty and violence, intolerance, contradictions, family values, women, good stuff, science and history, prophecy, sex, language, interpretation, and homosexuality. And you can go there and read from the King James Version many, many supposed or proposed errors and contradictions that are in the Scriptures. This is a reality. This is a perspective that people have. They understand that Christianity is based on the Bible. If the Bible falls, Christianity falls. If the Bible stands, Christianity stands because it is in the Bible where we hear, where we learn the teaching that is foundational to the Christian faith. And So you have skeptics who point out all of its many errors. And I would tell you it's, it's quite a helpful practice if you want to see how these uh, skeptics of the faith, these atheists and so forth, uh, what their perspective is, what they See how they read the Bible. And so to answer the question, is the Bible reliable, is important because we have no other place or no other grounds by which to proclaim the truths of the Christian faith, by which to proclaim the truth that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved than in Jesus Christ. So we're going to ask, we're going to try to answer this question. And I want, to, uh, I want to basically say up front that my argument is going to be the Bible is reliable because the Bible says it's reliable. Now you might think that that's circular reasoning. But what I want you to grasp is that I can't prove to you Using anything else, the reliability of the Bible, otherwise I'm saying the thing that I used other than the Bible is actually my authority, not the Bible. Do you see what I'm saying? I've said this before, but it's like saying I have the fastest car in the world, and I'm going to show you how it's the fastest car in the world by towing it down the racetrack. As an ultimate authority, it must be self Authenticating. So ultimately, the reason why we believe as Christians that the Bible is reliable cannot be that history determines it's so, that its preservation throughout time determines that it's so, but because the Bible itself tells us it's so. So the Bible is reliable because it has been inspired by God. And we're going to look at three questions What exactly is the Bible? Why can we trust it and what is it for? So let's look at that first question. What is the Bible? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we are told by Paul this important phrase that helps us understand the nature of inspiration, the nature of the Bible. And it says that all scripture is God-breathed or breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. That is to say that the scripture has come into being because God has determined that it would. And God has used the instruments of various people from various backgrounds to collect the 66 books of the Bible that we have before us today. It's written about, uh, by about 40 authors, three different languages. That's Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek three different continents over approximately 1,600 years. And the Bible itself claims to be inspired and without error in everything that it addresses. It contains many different styles of writing, such as poetry, like the Psalms, history like Genesis or Matthew, parables, prophecy, as well as fiction. So... We need to understand what the Bible is and its makeup that we can rightly interpret it, rightly understand it, rightly grasp what it's teaching us. The first thing that we need to know about the Bible is that it is the revelation of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we have been given that we may come to know God and what God requires of us. I've often spoken about the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But without the Bible telling us how to glorify God and how we were created to glorify God and how we were made to enjoy Him forever, we would never come to and accomplish that. We need special revelation from God, in order to come to salvation in Jesus Christ, in order to understand our world, that this is a fallen world, that we have sin, that we struggle with and against, that there is an enemy. all these things we find from the Bible, which has been given to God's people, so that we can have this sure foundation. What about the second question that I wanted to talk about? Why can we trust it? And this is getting at the reliability question that we have before us today. Is the Bible reliable? And I would like to say that as Christians, we can enjoy and find great comfort and find it helpful to look at the fulfilled prophecies that are in the Scriptures, the preservation of the Scriptures throughout time, even logical argumentation as to the reason why the Bible is trustworthy. But those are not ultimate. They're not ultimate. And they cannot be used in evangelism encounters in order to convert the person that you're speaking to. Let me give you an example. Well, oftentimes in evangelistic encounters, something that is argued is the the proof, historical proof, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ without using the Bible. I'm going to prove to you that Jesus of Nazareth lived in the first century A.D. and that he was resurrected from the dead. And I was told one time, of a gentleman who was on a campus and he was arguing with this uh, uh, skeptic girl who was a a college student at this campus and they went on and on for for hours and he was arguing the historicity of Jesus Christ and the proof of his resurrection. And finally she said, okay, I believe that Jesus came back from the dead. And He's like, yes, I got one. And then she said, but that doesn't prove that he's gone. And maybe right now we can't explain or understand scientifically how Jesus could have died on the cross and came out of the tomb three days later, but one day we will. What does that encounter prove? It proves... That all other things besides the word of God fall short in convicting the sinner of its truth. We must rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get to that later. But for the sake of encouraging us believers, I will talk about some of these other uh, proofs and reasons why the scriptures are reliable. The first is fulfilled prophecy. There's uh, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that describe the detail of Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection. And the odds of even a few of these coming true in one person are staggering, much less 30 of them. I've been told that all the prophecies that are to come true when one person, that is Jesus Christ, how that would be even possible, the odds are like if you filled the state of Texas knee-high in quarters, and you went around and you found the one particular quarter, and you were blindfolded. That's what it's like. And none of the prophecies that are found in Scriptures have ever been proven to be false. Another reason why the Bible is reliable is its preservation. Many people throughout time have tried to destroy and get rid of the Scriptures. Some early Roman emperors tried to do this and did not work. And some modern atheists have proclaimed that by the time 100 years had passed, the Bible would no longer be about, be around in the uh, height of the Enlightenment, but that proved false as well. But let me tell you about this, because we don't often think about this. The Bible that we have today, particularly the New Testament... <laughs> is based on the many manuscripts that we have from the time in which it was written. Uh, the writings of Plato were written about 427 to 347 BC. A copy of them was found around .AD. 900. So that's the difference of 1,200 years, 1,200 years between when it was written and when the first copy was found, right? And there's only seven copies of Plato's writings. Nobody questions whether Plato existed or the veracity of the truth of Plato's writings from his particular perspective. Let me tell you about the documents from the New Testament. They were written from anywhere from A.D. 50 to 100, maybe even earlier than that. Copies were found around A.D. 130, a span of less than 100 years And there are 5,686 copies of New Testament documents. And that's just including the Greek language. If you include Coptic language, Latin language, it goes up to over 20,000 manuscripts. There is no ancient document that has more manuscripts preserved in history than the New Testament itself. And maybe when you hear that, you ask yourself, well, why is there some, you know, little margin notes that says, well, maybe this says this instead of this? Well, besides the fact that all marginal notes, all the differences between all the manuscripts, really have nothing to do with the core theology or the core confession of the Christian church, I've heard it said like this. If the New Testament is a puzzle that's 100 pieces, we have 125 pieces. We have extra pieces. We have more pieces than we need. But we will be able to complete the puzzle, if that makes sense. So we should cling to the faithfulness of God in preserving the Scriptures throughout time. You can also make a logical argument. Charles Wesley once proposed a logical argument For the truth or the reliability of the scriptures, he said, The Bible must be the invention either of good men or angels, bad men or devils, or of God. And then he logically went through it. First, it could not be the invention of good men or angels, for they neither would or could make a book and tell lies all the time they were writing it, saying, Thus saith the Lord, when it was their own invention." Second, it could not be the invention of bad men or devils, for they would not make a book which commands all duty, forbids all sin, and condemns even their own souls to hell and all eternity. Third, therefore I draw this conclusion that the Bible must be given by divine inspiration. That's a logical argument. But as I said, human logic is insufficient for showing the divine character of God's word. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, an an older reformed document, the first chapter is on holy scripture. And it says two things in that chapter that I think are profound and very very helpful for us in understanding why we as Christians believe in the infallibility and errancy of God's word and we trust it as God is speaking to us himself. And it's helpful to understand the context from which the Westminster Confession of Faith was written. Because the Catholic Church was saying, the only reason you have a Bible is because we've given it to you. And the only way you can understand the Bible is if we tell you how to understand it. So this is what this Confession of Faith says. The authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, depends not upon the testimony of any man. The Bible is not reliable because I have told you it's reliable. does not depend upon the testimony of any man or church, but entirely upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. People of God, do you understand what it's saying here? It's saying that you should not believe or trust that the Bible is reliable because Cottage Grove Christian Reformed Church has told you it is, because Pastor Kerry Gephardt has told you it is, but because it is the Word of God. And because the Word of God says all Scripture is breathed out by God. That's the reason you hold to its truth. and Then it goes on to say, of course we may be moved or induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. And we may look at the Scriptures and say, look at the heavenliness of the matter. Look at the effectiveness of the doctrine. Look at the majesty of the style of the Scriptures. The fact that all the parts of the scriptures work together. The fact that the entire scripture as a whole gives glory to God and is not contradictory. The full discovery of it makes of the only way of man's salvation the many other excellencies that are in the scriptures and the entire perfection thereof. These are all arguments whereby we may abundantly evidence that it is the word of God. And then it says this. Yet. Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth in divine authority that is thereof in the scriptures is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. That is to say that nobody comes to the firm conviction that this book, the Bible, the Old and New Testament the 66 books included in here comes to the conclusion that this is the very Word of God and is to be trusted above all else. And when we open it, we know that it is truthful and all that it tells us, unless the Holy Spirit works in their heart by the means of the Word of God. Think back to the example I gave to you. Or the man speaking to the woman on a college campus. Trying to convince her of the historicity of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Yet, nonetheless, she did not come to the conclusion that Jesus was God and to be trusted for salvation. Because it is in the word of God that there is power the Spirit working with the Word of God, that there is power to change the hearts of sinners who have been blinded by the God of this age. Let me give you an example from the Scripture itself. The passage I spoke of, 2 Peter chapter 1, is a profound Scripture passage. Look what he says here on the eve of his death, to a church who is worried that what happens if we forget what you have taught us about Jesus and about salvation? What happens if we forget about it? He says this. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Here's Peter saying, you can trust me Because I am an eyewitness of everything that has occurred. That is, you could say that Peter is saying, I am a trustworthy historical source. I'm an eyewitness of Jesus and his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Particularly here, he's speaking of the transfiguration. He's saying, he received, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son Whom I love with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on a sacred mountain. I want you to capture this. Because this congregation that Peter's writing to could then say, But Peter, that's what we're talking about. You're not always going to be here. You're going to die. What are we going to do after you're dead? You're the eyewitness that we trust. You're the eyewitness account that we need. What happens when you're gone? And this is what he says. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. So Peter's saying... Don't ultimately trust or hold to my eyewitness account. You have the word of the prophets made more certain. He's speaking of the Old Testament. That all points to Christ, right? And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here in this passage, Peter is saying, don't trust only my eyewitness account. You don't need my eyewitness account. When I am long gone from this world, you have a trustworthy account that can be held to above all and that is the word of God. And you will do well to cling to it. You will do well to cling to it. That's all that the Westminster Confession of Faith is saying. It's saying that as we read the Word of God, a trustworthy account, and as the Spirit works in us, we come to have a firm conviction that it is the Word of God. Because it is the Word of God. But what's it for? We're going to end with this. What is it for? Second Timothy chapter 3 tells us, in no few words, The reason we need the Scriptures, the reason they are given to us and are to be trusted. He's speaking to Timothy about his upbringing as being taught in the Word of God uh, from his infancy. He's known the Holy Scriptures. Here Paul, of course, is speaking as well about the Old Testament, but we can apply it to the New Testament as it came to be. And he says these words, "...which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." What I find profound about this is that Paul is saying, Timothy, the Old Testament is sufficient to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How many people, how many Christians today do you think would answer that question differently? The Old Testament reveals Jesus. And on the walk to Emmaus, he said, All the scriptures point to me, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, they all point to me, Jesus Christ. And then, verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is why Cottage Grove as a church believes the importance of preaching the Word of God, that every word of God is worth preaching. That it's all worth preaching and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. In fact, Paul will go on into the next chapter saying, Preach the word in season and out of season. With great patience, careful instruction. Preach the Christians in Ephesus, Timothy. Concerning the Word of God. What's it for? The Word of God is to build up in the Christian more and more faith in Jesus Christ. It's to build up in the Christian the conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. That as the people of God hear the Word of God preached week in and week out, as they gather in their homes and open the word around the table, as they open it in their times of, of devotion in the morning or in the evening, we can trust That God's word will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. We can trust that by the word and the spirit working us, we are being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That our faith in Christ and his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy to us is growing and growing until further and further that day that we await for comes. The word of God is given to us as a way for us to come to know who God is, why He is worthy to be worshipped and glorified, and how He saved us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that He has given us His Word. Amen. Father, we thank You. That you have not left us in silence, but you have spoken to us, and you continue to speak to us through your inspired and infallible word, which tells us of your faithfulness in creation, your faithfulness in the midst of our fall and your faithfulness in our redemption and your faithfulness that we still, even now, wait for and long for as you will come again to make all things new. We thank you that you have shown us your Son in the Word of God and that you have sent us your Spirit that we may come to truly know that you can be known through your Word and that you are faithful by your word to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ and to grow us in godliness and holiness for your sake and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.